Do you remember a movie where you had a test screen and you're like, oh my God, what are we going to do? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> do you remember a specific movie where you're like, what are we going to do? Um, there are definitely a few of them. Uh, you know, um, I think maybe, oh, Zoolander, first of all, Zoolander scored like a 48 out of 100. Oh, really? Out of 100? Yeah. Wow. And that's not good. <laughs> Welcome back to Working It Out. Uh, we have an unbelievable guest today. I can't believe we got him. Uh, I can't believe we got him to be in my movie Don't Think Twice. He made a cameo in Don't Think Twice. Um, of course, he's known from Reality Bites, Meet the Parents, Zoolander, um, Tropic Thunder. Uh, I- incredible, incredible movie career. Uh as a director, as a writer, as an actor. Um, he's recently uh, directed Escape at Denimora, which was amazing, award-winning show. And now Severance, it's on Apple TV+. Plus. Before we get into it, I should point out that uh, this week I'll be in Paris. <laughs> Paris, France. I've never performed in Paris. I'm performing in English. I made a funny video about it on Instagram. If you're over there on Apple Biggs. Then I'll be in Iceland, and then I'll be in Sag Harbor, uh, which is in Long Island, New York, uh, at the Bay Street Theater, this gorgeous, gorgeous little Bay Street Theater, about a 300-seat theater. And then I'll be in Los Angeles with the full production of The Old Man and the Pool with the set design and the lighting design and um, all the bells and whistles for 40 performances, five weeks in Los Angeles at at the gorgeous, gorgeous Mark Tabor Forum. Uh, get your tickets now. I'm so excited about that. And then join the mailing list at burbigs.com to find out about some fall announcements. We got like Detroit. I want to say Cincinnati. I want to say Salt Lake City. We're working on a lot of places. Join the mailing list at burbigs.com. This conversation with Ben Stiller is great. He's a very sincere uh, and funny person. And it's just like wildly curious. Uh, started sort of uh, making his own short films when he was young, he had a short stint on Saturday Night Live that we talk about that's hilarious. Uh, I think shortest stint ever uh, by his own choice. Um, we have this great conversation about his series called Severance on Apple TV Plus that I couldn't recommend more highly. It is, it is funny, it is strange, it is sci-fi, it is one of a kind. Enjoy my conversation with the great Ben Stiller. I have to confess, I used to be such a film snob that I wouldn't even consider studio comedies to be real, real comedies or real film. Yeah. And I got completely schooled by my idol, Mitch Hedberg, about your movie, Meet the Parents. So we were in Dayton, Ohio, and we drove by like a multiplex. And he goes, have you seen Meet the Parents? And I go, no, you know, I don't really see a lot of studio comedies. <laughs> and he goes all right man it's fucking hilarious you know (laughs) and i felt like and he's like my idol he was my idol i was like oh like i think i i should revisit this idea of being a snob and then i saw meet the parents i loved it and then i was like okay i'm wrong about this wow wow first of all i love that you were that you didn't go to studio movies (laughs) (laughs) Um, no, and I get that. And, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, you, 
you want to make something that's going to make a lot of people laugh and, and reach a lot of people. But ultimately, it's the same thing as you would do in any movie. It's just sometimes the, the parameters for what makes it and what, what is accepted are, are much tougher to get through because they have to reach a broader audience. But the other thing I was going to say was that just the fact that you knew and hung out with Mitch Hedberg, it's pretty, like I've been thinking about Mitch Hedberg a lot lately because he was always one of my favorite comedians. Um, and recently, my daughter is going to drama school. She's 20. And what they did uh, for one of their projects, they, they had each of the students uh, be a different stand-up comedian and, oh my gosh, and wow. actually do their uh, a bit of their work. So do some of their material. And uh, and my daughter did Sarah Silverman. Oh and gosh. her best friend, Elaine, did uh, Mitch Hedberg. She did a great I love Mitch everything Hedberg. about this. Yeah. And it was really interesting because they're doing it word for word. And the teachers didn't want them to do an impression. They just wanted them to do like sort of an essence. Um, and it was really cool. And I just was just sort of like, oh, God, he was just his material and she did a great job with him and sort of like her own take, which felt like him, but also was like, you know, this really wonderful kind of light, um, 20 year old girl attitude also, you know, that was yeah. like really beautiful too. Uh, the, the spirit that was coming through, but then it, it just was really interesting. And his, um, you know, his material, it's just, it's so specific to his personality, but yet the material itself is just so profound. It's just so profound. No, he's incredible. It's so funny you should say the act, acting exercise. I did that in college. I did Dave Attell. Really? When I was in college. And they and the, the, the professor didn't know Dave Attell's work, so she just sort of thought like, oh, this is just Mike being funny. And meanwhile, I was like doing his jokes <laughs> like word for word. <laughs> Well, it's also interesting because when you're starting out anyway, if, and these, you know, these are acting, serious acting students. They're not, you know, it wasn't, it's not a comedy school, but um, is there a comedy school? Do comedy schools exist? I, I think now they do. They didn't then. Uh, you know, they were just, they're, so they're just acting students doing it. But, um, you know, when you're starting out, I think, you know, you'd naturally try to sort of be who, you know, like somebody that you want to be like, you know, you just, it just kind of, and then you hopefully develop into something that's more or your own thing, but you have to start from somewhere like that. That's what I talked about. I had Mitch Hedberg's wife, uh, Lynn Shawcroft on a couple months ago. And we talked about that because early in my career, I sounded a lot like Mitch because mm. I just loved him. I loved his work so much. And that's what you try to do. You imitate and then you become yourself, hopefully. Like, do you have that as a director? Like, did you... Were you trying to be Kubrick, trying to be like, you know, Spielberg, any of those people? Yeah, I mean, growing up for me in the 70s, I was watching Spielberg movies and, you know, I, I was watching everything that was out. But mainly I was going more towards the pop culture kind of movies, the, uh, you know, even like the, you know, Irwin Allen towering Inferno type movies. Yeah. <laughs> Planet of the Apes films. Um you know, there was, some, there was a really interesting edge to all those. I mean, you know, they were formula movies, but, um, and then then later, but yet they were, there was something about them that was just very, I don't know, like very visceral. And, you know, then there was just an edginess and a grittiness to the movies too, and even the comedies also. So, you know, I was watching, as I got became a teenager, I was watching more of like, you know, Bill Murray comedies and Albert Brooks, I discovered 
around the time, you know, in the 80s when I was probably like my teenager, late, middle, you know, like late teens, I guess. And uh, yeah, those were like the people that, especially Albert Brooks, that was like for me. Yeah. It's like, oh, I want to do that. The last two things you did, you've done, Danamora and Severance, are so different from Tropic Thunder, you know, uh, and um, like all Meet the Parents, all these other movies that are bigger comedies. But it's like, what's the what's similar about those two things? Well, you know, just going back to the thing about studio comedies and what that is, there is a uh, the, the bar that you have to hit is that you do have to make people laugh out loud in a way that it's gonna, you know, <laughs> like that they're gonna, yeah, and it's like yeah. a real thing. It's a real, uh, yeah, metric that's, a, you know, that is there that is a lot of pressure because you got to make it funny for a lot of people yeah. and they have to laugh. And, you know, and most studio movies, if not all, go through some sort of testing process. So I spent a lot of years, you know, of going to, test screenings of movies I was in or had directed or both and sitting in the back of the audience watching, you know, (laughs) clenched up. Yeah, of course. (laughs) You know, it was not a fun experience. It was stressful. I mean, it was great when it went well. But, you know, there were a lot of those screenings where it was like, oh, you got to hit this mark and people are going to give you a score, like a test. And, you know, everybody says at the end, you know, well, with the score doesn't matter. It's just like, how's the movie playing? And you really do yeah. get that. But there's also a number and there's, a, you know, recommendation score, all, all this yeah. stuff. And I think, you know, not having to do that, not having to uh, yeah. uh, have to go through that part of the process for me, especially at Danamora was, again, like another realization I had was that, oh my, like this is the first thing I've made where I'm not, I'm not, I don't have to test it. And I think right. it was the first, first uh, thing that I had directed that didn't have to go through that process on some level. And it was really freeing, you know, it was great. I, I remember seeing Tropic Thunder in the theater in Los Angeles, and it was such a seminal comedy experience because I was like, oh, he's making a parody of an action movie and he's making it with the production values of an action movie, as good as any action movie. And so that's, that blew my mind. I was like, that's, that's game over for me. <laughs> well, that was also just me, the director, wanting to direct that kind of movie, you know, yeah, honestly. Yeah. You know? And that, that, that even goes back to when we were doing the Ben Stiller show on Fox. And, you know, like, I, you know, I think like people like Odenkirk, you know, and uh, David Cross, and, you know, were like so, they were so great at, writing sketches and I would like come in on the writing and, you know, be a part of it. But what I really loved was directing them, you know, and, oh, we're going to do, you know, take off on Cape Fear. And it's like, I can try to now do, you know, the Scorsese Cape Fear thing with our, you know, Eddie Munster and Cape Fear. And that part of it was as exciting to me. And I, I think, you know, I remember with Tropic Thunder was feeling like, oh, you know, in the test process too, the test screening process, it was like people, People like you probably were like, oh, that's really cool. But, you know, the audience that was coming to it that wanted to laugh, they say, hey, do you want to come see a comedy with Ben Stiller and Robert Downey and Jack Black? They're like, yeah, I want to, you know, like we're like, and and so I, I remember feeling like, oh, gosh, they don't care about, you know, the helicopters and the vibe and this thing feeling like, like they just want to 
laugh, you know? Right. Which is their complete right if they go to a com- you go to a comedy. But I would get more into the other part of it too. And I always felt like the combination of it all was actually what was the fun part, you know what I mean? Because that actually does contribute to the tone of the movie. What was it, did you ever have one of those test screenings? Do you remember a movie where you had a test screening? You're like, oh my God, what are we going to do? Yeah, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember a specific movie where you're like, what are we going to do? Um, there are definitely a few of them, uh, you know. Um, I think maybe, oh, Zoolander, first of all. Zoolander scored like a 48 out of 100. Oh, really? Out of 100? Yeah. Wow. And that's not good for a test screening of a comedy. They, they, the, you know, the studio would like the movie to be like, you know, hey, we got, I mean, I was, I remember. And by the way, the, by the way, for the, for the listeners, like one of the most iconic comedies of all time, that's, a, that's, a, that's actually an inspiring story for people to hear, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and also, I don't think it ever got above... Like, then you do some changes, you go back, and you do, you know, and, like, you tighten some things or try some things. I don't think it ever got up at more than, like, 60-something. Really? Know? Yeah, but it definitely doesn't reflect necessarily the success of the movie, ultimately. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. How it's actually going to do in the real world. Because I've been in movies that tested, like, 99 and did not did not break yeah. the, you know, bank. <laughs> we need you to name names. We need names. Um, well, I'll just, my own, of my own movies, like I say, Zoolander, Zoolander tested poorly. Um, Tropic Thunder did like kind of middle, mid-range, you know, and then, and, and, and that is a, a trap that I found myself getting into. And I'm not saying that, that generally directors get into, but it's a trap I found myself getting into, which was then, you want, you want to get a good test score. So you <laughs> yeah, start, sure. you know, you want yeah, to please yeah. the teachers. Yeah, completely. So with Don't Think Twice, which you were generous enough to do an amazing cameo in, we were doing test screenings for not like official, like studio test screenings, like in Vegas kind of thing. It was just more like public radio listeners on the Facebook page. Like, hey, you want to come see this movie? You know, the Don't Think Twice if people haven't seen it's about this group group of best friends in an improv group. And Keegan-Michael Key gets cast on Saturday Night Live and the rest of them don't. He gets the dream come true job. The rest of them don't. And it's about sort of what happens in life when it doesn't go as you planned. And that's what it's about, literally. And and these women raise their hands and they go, I don't like them. And and I think it was Ira goes like, what don't you like about them? And we quote this to this very day. They go, they're losers. (laughs) And for us, we're like, Oh, they get it. They get what the movies about. <laughs> like <laughs> they're lovable losers theoretically right. who aren't going to win in a traditional sense and that's what it's about. But of course, you know, sometimes that kind of feedback is like devastating but it's also kind of humorously devastating. No, it's ridiculous. Yeah, like you have to just deal with and all of a sudden like that guy who's sitting in the chair like becomes like your everything, you know what I mean? Yeah, like the one guy who's like, I think I actually think he's funny. I kind of I, I thought it was funny. And then you're like, "Yes, I love yes. you. Keep yes. talking." <laughs> um, and then all, also always it, it's like the bad guy in the movie, you know, Usually, like, we'll get a low score, unless it's like, a, like a really like over the top entertaining. But like the bad person in the movie who's doing the bad things will get a low score, score because the audience doesn't like him. Right, he's not a good person. <laughs> His character is bad. And I think you know, Severance has that in the sense that like, it's not like Adam Scott is like every choice he makes is like the right choice. It, it, no, for sure. I mean, that's something we thought about a lot 
during making it. And again, I'm kind of glad we didn't have to go through the test process on it because um, it's important that his character, his Audi, you know, his, his self on the outside is, he's depressed. He's, you know, probably alcoholic. He's, you know, um, you know, going through this sort of period in his life where he's grieving his his wife. And, you know, we intentionally didn't want to make him that likable. And also I always felt in this show, the fun part of it was that he has the any, you know? So yes. there's like this, this, so, you know, that's one of the unique things about the setup of the show is that you can have this character on the inside who's like actually maybe a lot more likable. And then you're, you as an audience are wondering, well, who should I be rooting for? And that, you know, that dichotomy and that sort of, uh, those sort of, you know, that, that conflict between the two parts of himself is kind of what the show's about. I relate to <laughs> so much of the show because it's about, without giving away anything that's not in the first episode, it's about this idea that one might have a procedure, it's a science fiction premise, that one might have a procedure that separates, that severs their work life from their home life and existence. And of course, like it's, it's so much a commentary on work-life balance and all this stuff. It's like, did you, did you feel like you learned anything from doing it? Because you've, you lived in it for like probably a couple of years in that question. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely lived in it for a couple of years because we started even before the pandemic. I mean, we, we were prepping for about six or so months before the pandemic and had been developing it for year, a year or two years before that. So it was a long process. I mean, I think the pandemic really affected my sense of being aware of that because you know how the sort of the, the delineation between home life and work life kind of went away. And, but then that does take away... <laughs> You know, all of a sudden, for people who tend to be, you know, I won't use the term lightly workaholic, but, you know, uh, tend to, you know, get wrapped up in, in your work, uh, then all of a sudden it's sort of like you can just kind of go do it, you know, whenever. And that, then you have to put your own parameters on it. So I was more aware of how, you know, when when I had to kind of turn it off and, um, and that, you know, I think it ironically, not going to work made me more aware of how much, how invested in work I am. I had that when I was a kid. My dad, <laughs> there's a room in our house that was called my dad's study, which is hilarious in hindsight, that my dad had a room called the study. Right. It's just like, it's ridiculous. <laughs> he had a pipe. This is like a ridiculous thing. He, he did have a pipe. pipe with tobacco. Yeah, yeah, for real. My dad had a pipe for a while. He did a pipe for a few, like a, some period of time, they went to cigars mainly, and then that was it. I like that, I, I, but I, it's still evocative of that smell for me. I like the pipes, the pipe smoke smell. Yeah, and the, yeah, the tobacco is great. It's actually a great smell. Cigar is an awful smell. <laughs> yeah, um, but the and the pipe also has that like little spoon, like the tobacco sort of yes. stirring spoon too. Yeah, um, but my dad had but, the, the had the study, and right. when he was in the study, you knew. Don't go the fuck near the study. Right. Like, like you're going to be in trouble if you go near the study. I remember my neighbor, Leslie Saliba, her dad had like an area. He was a professor, college professor. Was like, there was like an area of the house. Like, do not go near that area of the house. But that's a severance. That's like literally it's a right. severed thing. Totally. And I, I had that with my parents too. We had what we called the big living room. And it wasn't big, and it wasn't a living room. <laughs> it was an Upper West Side apartment, and it was where my parents worked mainly. 
So, and there was, it was, you know, a 70s apartment and they had this like folding door, this sort of accordion, white accordion door. Yeah. And when it was closed, same thing. They were in there, they were working on their sketches or their material yeah. or whatever it was, or rehearsing, rehearsing radio commercials, rehearsing their act. And, you know, you'd hear them in there. And it was definitely like when it was closed. And I think my, my room uh, where I work and where I would edit over the last couple of years, and my, and my son still lives at home, you know, I think he sensed that and everybody in the house sensed when like the doors were closed or yeah. they heard, if they heard the show that we're working, like, like, you know, the dad's working. It's just sort of yeah, like, don't go it near happens, that. yeah. Yeah. It's so weird because I, I imagine that with my daughter, I'm like, does she perceive that even though I'm actually not intentionally but creating that? Exactly how I feel. Like I am not intentionally creating it, but I know it's a thing yeah. for everybody else in the house. <laughs> yeah. I've become oh my, my parents. Yeah. Did you uh, when you, your parents were uh, an iconic comedy duo, Stiller and Mirror? Do you did you have a thing when you were a kid? Because it's a my my pressure was to not be in show business. My dad was a doctor. My mom's a nurse. It was kind of like do something practical and helpful. Your parents were in show business. Did you have a pressure to be in show business or succeed quickly? I mean, there wasn't a pressure to, to be in it. It just was so all-encompassing that it was just everything in the house and in our lives. And so I was definitely drawn to it. I don't know you know, if it's just me that I was drawn to it because I was around it. Yeah. And somebody else, if it was not me, if I'd been a different person, would have not been into it. And it's not, it, it's not like they were always having fun because they were, there was stress around the house a lot of the time because of the work. Um, but they, and, you know, they, they got along pretty well, but they worked together a lot. So there was, yes. you know, so it wasn't like this idyllic thing, but, <laughs> right. um, but it was really like, like, you know, for me, it, it was movies and watching movies and being around it and seeing my parents do television shows was really exciting to me. Yeah. So there wasn't pressure to go into it. I think it was all on my, myself and, and they were reacting to it. And I literally am just going through the same thing with my daughter who's 20, like I was saying, she's in drama school. She, you know, she just did it on her own and it was her choice. And as a parent, you have to make the choice of how you're going to, you know, how you're going to support that and what, how you feel about it. Um, and I'm sure that my parents both had their separate feelings about it, but they were very, um, they were different about it. Um, but they were, they basically sort of like, you know, let's let, let let him do his thing and let's let's be supportive of it. But they weren't pushing it in any way or expecting it, I don't think, in any way. It's funny because I would see your parents who were always so nice to me, particularly your mom, like sent me a nice email when I, she heard me on the Moth Radio Hour. And it was just, she was just a very generous of spirit person. And like, but but it's funny because you went in your life with this weird very, very unique pendulum of they, they were very famous and then you were very famous and kind of more famous than them. And so they'd be answering questions. Like I would literally see your mom answering questions about you, like Ben's doing this, Ben's shooting this right now. And it's like, <laughs> that must've been a wild experience. I can't, yeah, I can't imagine that. Um, I can probably, my daughter will probably be doing exactly the same thing. Uh, but, you know, I can't imagine what that was like from that from their point of view because I know how I am, you know, like you know, and they were doing their thing. But they, the great thing is they never ever there was never any weirdness about that, you know. They were always super. So when it got to that point, they were always super supportive of it. 
Yeah. Now, and I've, I've been working actually with Jeff on a documentary about my parents. Oh, wow. Since, yeah, since you know, my dad passed away a couple of years ago and my mom, it, it's a few years and we were selling the apartment where we grew up. And, you know, just starting to think about those questions about, about how they looked at their, as they got to the age that I am now and as I'm looking at, you know, my life at this point in life. Yeah. You know, it, 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 you still love doing what you do and you want to keep doing it. And, you know, in show business, there's always this lack of security anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, I know for my dad that, you know, when, when uh, he did Seinfeld, that was a really wonderful thing for him in his career at a moment in time when I think it really meant a lot to him. You yeah, know? of course. And my mom, though, was, you know, very talented and really, really good actress, uh, serious actress, but she... You know, she never had that uh, later in her career, but she also, I think, was, you know, okay with kind of, you know, she she was a writer, she wrote plays, she she was, you know, an avid reader, she was interested in a lot of different things. You know, I'm sure that she was aware of that and it was weird for her. And we used to joke around too. I mean, I remember we just, we, we had a good sense of humor about it. Yeah. And she would make fun of me and I would like joke with her and, I remember I used to like pretend I was her bodyguard crossing the street with her. <laughs> and I'd be like telling people to get out of the way and she would, would make her laugh. Or um, I was like, I went on a special diet when I was like 18 or 19 because I had bad skin. I was trying to clear up my skin. Yeah. I was going on auditions. I was like, I'm not going to get jobs with my pimples. It's also, I couldn't act really well at that point. <laughs> Working It Out is brought to you in part by Helix Mattresses. Helix is a ground floor, first adapter sponsor. They saw the vision of Working It Out. They had a vision for mattresses. Come on. That's a stretch, but I, res- <laughs> I <laughs> give it to me. <laughs> um, I, I've told you about Helix Sleep before. Uh, they have a sleep quiz. It takes two minutes. Very easy. You will ace it. It matches your body type and your sleep preferences to the mattress that's perfect for you. Uh, Why would you buy a mattress made for someone else? That's the great existential question of our time. Um, I took the quiz. I was matched with uh, the right model, and I love it. They have a 10-year warranty. You get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. 100 nights (laughs) risk-free. I have to read this again and again. That's not even in my contract. Helix even has financing options and flexible payment plans. So get a great night's sleep. It's never far away with Helix Mattress. HelixSleep.com slash Perbigs. Working It Out is brought to you in part by HelloFresh. Get farm-fresh seasonal produce and easy-to-make recipes delivered right to your door every week. Uh, I've done it. It's great. You, You don't have to go to the grocery store and... You can count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. Ingredients travel from the farm to your doorstep in under a week. So they are always arriving fresh, all without a trip to the grocery store or even a farmer's market. It's all about convenience with HelloFresh. Not only do the ingredients come pre-portioned, so you're not overbuying or wasting food, but it's easier than it's ever been to get filling meals on the table in a snap with options like family-friendly or quick and easy recipes. Go to HelloFresh.com slash 16 That's B-I-R-B-I-G-S-1-6 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. 
That's HelloFresh.com slash Burbigs16. Use code Burbigs16. One of the questions we ask on the slow round sometimes is, uh, what's an inauthentic version of yourself that you look back on and you sort of cringe, like, oh, God, that phase? Yeah. I mean, there's probably like 20 years of that that I could look at. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I, I, you know, there was a period of time when I was, yeah, like I was trying to figure out uh, who I was, I guess, as, a, as an actor. And, you know, I wasn't great at auditioning and I wasn't that comfortable in front of the camera. So it was like a long period of time when I was just really awkward at, at acting, I think. Um, and this that's is in your twenties. That's in my like teens, into, okay. like it, like yeah, teens into early twenties. You know, until I started to really get work, and even then, I look back. I mean, I, there's a, I, first movie sort of substantial role I had. Well, I, I had a little role in Empire of the Sun, um, Steven Spielberg movie. But then there was this movie called Fresh Horses uh, that starred Molly Ringwald and Andrew McCarthy, and I got the role as a best friend. And I just whenever. The movie didn't really do well, and it doesn't get shown a lot. But whenever I would show up in that movie, I was like doing, I was like really trying to be funny, you know? Right, right. <laughs> Just pushing, like the best friend, pushing, pushing, and yeah. And I and I look at that. Um, I mean, there's a a, bunch, a couple of movies like right at the beginning where I look at it, and I go, oh my god, what was I doing? Um, because I was nervous, you know. And yeah, I think. But then you know, looking back, and I was like, I was trying to figure it out. I was trying, you know. Yeah. trying to figure out how to do it. But it, it you know, takes a while for some people. Some actors are just out of the gate, natural, and, you know, and can do it. But for some people, it, it takes a while to, to find that. And so for me, it, did, it, took a, it took a while. Well, when you were growing up, what was your role in, in your family, like with the siblings? Uh, I was, well, so I had my older sister, Amy, and I. And, you know, we were, I mean, I was... I would terrorize her. I would give her a lot of problems because <laughs> I, I wanted to, you know, she was like four years older than I was and she had cool friends and, right. you know, and she had like her girlfriends would come over and I would be like, oh, wow, girls. And, you know, I would like want them to accept me and yeah. I would, and then they wouldn't. And so then I would just like make, you know, then I would just, uh, you know, like I'd, I'd like, um, you know, we had an intercom in the, our phone in the house and I'd like pick up the intercom and, you know, like just like, you know, yell things into it or or they or she'd be on the phone and then I'd like get on the, you know, the other line and just like go, ah, you know, <laughs> <laughs> while she'd be talking to her friends. I was a little bit out there. But I was, it was, you know, we, we sort of were also like kind of left to our own devices a bit because my parents were away a lot working and uh, oh, our wow. housekeeper, Hazel, who would watch out for us, you know, we would just kind of like run rampant and she, you know, she was so sweet and would, would be there for us, but also we would kind of like just go crazy too. What's the, what's your earliest memory, your youngest memory? Hmm. Um, I feel like uh, it's a really good one. I mean, I, I have this memory of being in a pool with my mom and my mom holding me and sort of like her sort of like, you know, kind of uh, bobbing up and down in the pool. Aww. And, uh, you know, like just remembering, you know, 
you know, what, like smelling her skin and, you know, the pool and feeling, you know, being held. That's, that's, I think probably my earliest memory, but you know, it's, 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 it's not a specific memory. It's just like a feeling. No, I, I get that because yeah. I had that. I ha- I have a lot of pool. My new show is called The Old Man in the Pool. A lot yeah. of my I have a lot of pool memories, like YMCA pool memories when I was a kid. Yeah, we had a lot of pool memories too because my parents would go on the road doing summer stock. Oh yeah, plays. yeah. So they would go to places like you know Cape Cod, like Hyannis, Hyannisport, yeah. and uh, Flint, Michigan, Dayton, Ohio. And play these, you know, do like Prisoner of Second Avenue or, you know, um, yeah, Neil Simon comedies where they would do them for a couple of weeks and then they would uh, go to the next place. And they'd do it for like six weeks in Paramus Playhouse in New Jersey. And they would yeah. stay at some, you know, motel, not motel, but like kind of motels, you know, like wow. they were like nice motels, but they had a pool and or like go and play Vegas or play uh, Reno and do their act, and we loved it. It was just the best. It was so much fun. I I just remember being part of my parents' work and being welcomed in. For me, that that it was such a, a big thing, you know, to be, uh, I mean, weird, you know, memories, but being backstage at the $10,000 Pyramid game show, you know, that yeah. hosted by Dick Clark. Oh know? my and gosh. So like, they would, they would shoot it on, you know, on, 58th Street at some That's a like snort <laughs> laugh for me, ten thousand yeah. dollar pyramid. I remember I know, that but like, so well. It was one of our favorite things. My mom was really good at it. My dad wasn't great at it, but my mom was a really good <laughs> um, celebrity, you know, person on it. And they would go down and they'd do the five shows for the week, right? You know, Monday through Friday. Yeah. They'd do them, but they do them all in one day. So they do yeah. like three in the morning, have lunch, and then two in the afternoon or something like that. And it was so much fun. The cold air of the of the studio, and yeah. you know, uh, and whoever was backstage, you know, whatever, like William Shatner or Lavar Burton, or like getting to meet all these people and getting cheeseburgers for lunch. They'd order out. Um, I don't know. It was just like a really exciting, fun time to be a part of my parents' world. That, way. that makes me happy because I, sometimes I always get worried. You know, sometimes I get worried if I, I you know, I'll bring. Una to the Tonight Show or something like that backstage, and I'm like, oh, is this too much show business for a kid to take in at that age? <laughs> but hearing you say it as a fond memory makes me happy. Yeah, I mean, you're probably like imprinting it on her, so she's going at going to show business for sure. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm sure that's part of what made me want to do it was it's just because it seemed it's the fun part. That's the it thing. is the fun part. You're, you're right. You're showing her you're the right. fun part of it, and you're not showing her all the, like the, the blood, sweat, and tears of what it takes to get there. You know. Yeah. Can you think of something in your life where uh, it it actually changed your life, but in hind- at, at the time you didn't realize it would? Um. Wow. I think about you know, like I guess professionally, um, you know deciding, I don't know, like why, like deciding not to stay at Saturday Night Live when I oh, yeah. had to finally, I'd gotten this job there as a, you know, to be on it. And then I yeah. made this choice to not go to stay. Yeah, you were like one of the only people to even leave, really. Yeah. I think. And I, I remember, I, I, I don't yeah. think there's almost anyone in history who really, of their own volition, sort of left after, what, a year or two? No, after like six weeks. Oh, after six there. weeks? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I know. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, 
but I kind of like felt like, and I, and I, it had a lot of repercussions down the line, you know, in terms of just like my relationship with the show and with Lauren and, you know, but I also knew at the time it felt like, okay, this, there's just something telling me this is not the right thing for me right now. Wow. Um, Yeah. Wow. That, that's a real presence of mind to have that when you're like probably in your young twenties. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I, I was like probably, yeah, 22 or so. I don't know, but like, or Jesus, I, I don't, I don't, or 20, maybe more, maybe like 23 or something. But I, 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 I feel like I didn't quite know it. It was like more of like a, just like, I just did it. And I kind of like was kind of just going with my gut, but I wasn't like aware that I was going with my gut. I just sort of, you know what I mean? I didn't have a yeah. self-aware. It's like, oh, I'm making a decision that feels right. I just sort of did it. Did you tell Lauren you were doing it or did you just go? Yeah, no, I mean, I had to tell tell him and them and it was... <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, and... Uh, and now, yeah, and first, part of me that, and now honestly, of course, there's Michael Cohen on the show. Right, yeah, but it, part of me does regret it, you know, because I, I think about, oh, well, if I, you know, it stayed, like, what could that have been? But I also just didn't have the faith in myself as a performer to kind of do that. I, I felt like I needed to have more sort of like be in a, a situation that I could figure it out on my own more because I wasn't going to fit in well to what they did because I didn't know how to do it that well. Wow. Yeah. Do you have a, when you were growing up, was there a group that wouldn't you, let you in? Um, the high school basketball team. <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did you try out? Yeah, I tried out. <laughs> I did not make it. Um, that, that was did not feel good because it was. I mean, obviously, I didn't have a lot of height, but you know, this is a small Upper West Side private school. Yeah, you know, um, and there were maybe fourteen kids who tried out for the team, and twelve got on. Yeah, that's very <laughs> funny. And I was you were one an of elite. The, you were in an elite class of losers. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, and I I still think back on it to this day, and I'm like, God, that was I really must like that didn't I must not have been good at all. <laughs> That's so funny though too because you're I mean to to get where you are in show business you're you must have a competitive spirit about you. <laughs> sure. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, which is I think can you know sometimes be a good thing, and then sometimes it isn't a good thing. Especially you know to be competitive at things that you're not good at is not helpful you know what i mean yeah like things you don't like and and even things you're good at it's like you know like especially creative stuff it's hard because you get caught up in it and then you know your focus goes away from really just doing your own thing and that's that's a a lot of work goes i think for me it's gone into that into like just like going okay what do i want to do now am i looking at what somebody who's in a similar you know sort of like similar sure. circumstances and they're doing this and I'm not doing that. I, yeah. I, I'd worked that out as a joke on, the sh- on this show with Gary Gullman like a year ago. It's never made it on stage, but I think it's a funny premise, which is like, is like when I was a kid, I would play sports and I would lose, but the worst part about it was I was competitive. So, so it's like I was a competitive loser. Right. It's like I wanted to win. It wasn't like some guy who's just like, yeah, whatever happens. I was like, no, 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 I'm dying to win this thing. Well, that's, yeah, that's the nature of, uh, yeah, of being competitive. It's like, you know, and 
I don't like. I wish that that was something you could just turn off inside of you. I don't know. I guess if you get evolved and you can somehow you know, meditate more or something. I don't know. Like it's, but it's it's there. You have to acknowledge it. I think. You but have I to think that's it. what I mean. I think that we're onto something because that's a similar that you and I have that in common. And I think a lot of great comedy is people trying to do something and failing, but the trying is earnest. Right, yeah, and there's, there's definitely, yeah, That's there's a lot of comedy in that. Charlie Chaplin did that, Buster Keaton did that, like they right. were attempting to succeed. Right, and it's having, like, there's also humor in somebody who has a sense of, like a distorted sense of themselves <laughs> yes. or a sense of self-importance, you know? And yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because underneath that, there's so much pain, you know what I mean? Like underneath that, there's just so, like the person who is trying not to feel that, and yet, you know, having to, at some point, it's going to catch up with you, you know? <laughs> yeah. What, what's the best piece of advice someone gave you in your life that you used and it worked? Um, gosh. Uh, I mean, one piece of advice that uh, my dad always used to say to me was just um, get your rest, get some sleep. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. And I would be like, oh, okay, okay, okay. But it honestly does make a difference in life, um, right? When you're- It's huge. No, when it's, you're, I, I've been given that advice. Um, I think it was, I asked Brian Dennehy if he would play a part in a movie years ago. And he read the script and he was like, I'm, this part's not for me, uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm not gonna do it, but I really like your script. <laughs> I think it was for Don't Think Twice. And I, I, I forget which role, but it was like, but he goes, um, he, he literally same advice. He goes, um, you're going to do a great job. You're going to make a great movie. Um, make sure that you eat. Make sure you sleep. Yeah, yeah. Because it's, it, it's it, amazing how crucial that is and so simple. Yeah, and it sounds, you know, kind of simplistic, but it is like, you know, you can go to sleep, have the weight of the world on you and you get some rest and you wake up the next morning and you're, it is a, a new perspective. It's just different. It's different when you have, you know, when you're just like rusted and, or if you have space from what was happening the night before, it's kind of like magic or something, you know, it's kind of amazing. Working it out is brought to you in part by Noom. Noom is a, it's, it's, it's an app I have it on my phone. Gives you sort of support and knowledge that you might need to make positive choices, even when it's difficult, uh, by learning the psychology behind your own habits and better understanding your own personal relationship with food. The idea is that you'll gain the wisdom that you need to continue making long-term positive choices. I've always found, uh, and I've said this on the show before, I write my journal, um, I keep uh, I keep a food journal. I try to keep track of what I do and, and be aware of what I'm eating, what I'm doing, <laughs> how much coffee I'm drinking in my case. I drink a lot of coffee. Noom is a great way to log all that stuff. There's daily lessons, coaching, food logging, weight tracking, flexibility, etc. Noom Weight makes it easy to start on your weight loss journey and stay on track. There's, there's no need to worry about fitting it into your schedule. You just need like 10, 15 minutes a day. And just think about 
what you're eating, what you're doing. Start building better habits for healthier long-term results. Sign up for your trial at noom.com slash burbigs. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash B-I-R-B-I-G-S to sign up for your trial. Working It Out is brought to you in part by Uni. Uni Pizza Ovens. Oh, I couldn't recommend this more highly. First of all, <laughs> when I guest hosted for Jimmy Kimmel, <laughs> he sent me one. And I, I have to say, his endorsement by sending it to me is uh, is actually, I think, is more powerful than my own endorsement because he is like the real deal pizza maker. If you follow him on Instagram, you'll see he makes serious, serious pies. The act of making pizza is very personal. It's about building connections. It's celebration, education, family, making memories. Uni makes affordable, portable pizza ovens that run on wood, charcoal, or gas. They're sturdy, well-made. They look cool. This is the key thing. They heat up to 950 degrees. I know you're thinking, who cares? 950 degrees, 350 degrees. Mike, what's the darn difference? I'll tell you what the difference is. If you if you have your oven, the pizza oven, it's all about a lot of things, but it's all about the water for the dough and it's about the temperature of the oven. Uh, if you have it at 950 or in that vicinity, you really only have to put it in for like a minute. Don't quote me on that, but about a minute. Don't quote me on that. Once again, about a minute. Don't quote me on that. This summer, go to uni.com and make a pizza. O-O-N-I.com. O-O-N-I.com. Tell them Mike Berbiglia sent you. They will probably continue to support me as a pizza maker. Here's a couple jokes that I'm, I'm working on. And these are these are brand new. This one, this one is literally from this week. I overslept this week. I set my alarm for nine. I woke up at 11. But I slept through the alarm and then um, uh, I had a dream that there were, that an alarm was going off in my dream. And I, I, in my dream, I go, is that an alarm? And someone in the dream goes, no, that's, that's another alarm. And they didn't make up what alarm that was, like a fire alarm or someone's phone alarm. And then in the dream, I said, what time is it? And the person goes, I think it's like uh, seven. And then it just occurred to me, like, these dreams have no accountability. <laughs> it's so stupid. It's just a free um, write. Yeah, no, I like it. I like it. Um, yeah. Well, I, I like anything also that has to do with dream logic or dream reality, too. Yeah. You know, because I've, I am... Um, I've still like I have trouble remembering my dreams, and of course, whenever you recount a dream to anybody, too, it always just sounds so weird and not important and specific, and like loses its power somehow. Yeah, well, because I think like like Severance as an example, like a lot of people say like movies are dreams, well directed kind of thing, right? And right. Severance is a perfect example of like. It's extraordinarily specific. And I think it's the sp in the specificity that we're drawn in and we care. And I think a lot, of, a lot of times with dreams, you go like, you know, my alarm went off, and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it's not quite specific enough for you to lock into. Right, right. And because, and, and you, you know, and I feel like that was one of the things that it was, I thought was a, I felt really strongly about when I saw Severance is I was like, when you make a movie about being an astronaut, you want to be obsessive about like, this guy it has to be exactly what it's like to be an astronaut. You make a, a war movie, it's like, this has got to be what it's like to be a soldier. But Severance, it's like, this has got to be what it's like 
for the thing that doesn't exist, fictional right. scenario. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, exactly, which is fun because then you can sort of create it yourself. And coming off of Dan Amora, which was trying to get right. such a specific reality. Prison that I was, And I was yeah. so nervous about that because I didn't know that world. So I was like, you know, hyper into the research of it and trying to, you know, capture that. But it was out of fear of getting it wrong. And in this, it was sort of like, okay, it's kind of like there's a feeling that we're going for. I guess it is kind of like a dream where, it, like, you know, there's a feeling that we're going for that's going to feel right, but we can kind of make it up. But we'll know when it's wrong. But, you know, that's, there is a lot, it's a lot of fun to kind of work within those parameters and kind of create it for yourself. And, but it's also the thing at the end of the whole process, you're like, I hope this actually is something people want to watch and relate to and that we were in some way doing something that makes sense, you know, because you right. don't have anything to compare it to. Do you have, did you on the set, did you have rules or maybe this is too much of a spoiler? It's like, did you have rules for, we want it to feel like this. We want it to be true to itself in X, Y, Z way. I mean, I think there there were no hard and fast rules. I mean, there were visual sort of stylistic things we were trying to do, you know? Yeah. Um, but it came down to the actors, really. Like the actors, yeah. what I realized was that there would be there would be scenes where I'm like, oh God, I don't know if this is believable or not, or this is kind of weird and crazy. Yeah. But then when you get the actors on the set and they're investing in it. Yeah. And they're actually, you know, you have John Turturro and Adam and uh, Tramel Tillman, all these yeah. people who are like really investing in these, the reality of this, yeah. whatever it is, it totally changes it. Because you, cause they're so real and you believe them that it's like, oh yeah, okay, I, I buy it. Yeah, I buy it because this person is taking it seriously. Um, it's so, so hard to. It's just. It's amazing that you pulled it off because it's so hard to pull that off. You're. But you're I feel like that's people, the. I, honestly, I feel like that's the actors though. Like the actors are doing that. Like the actors, as long as they had a way in, right? We would talk about like what something meant, right? You know, or trying to understand it. Then they, you know. And then, then they took it over, and then it's like, all right, I'm just like these people are believing it, so I'll just, you know, I'll believe it. Yeah, because ultimately, you're you're just trying to get people to essentially see themselves in the characters they're watching. They're trying to, you want them to see a humanity that feels like their own life. Yeah, and it's also the, that thing of what if I was in this situation? Yeah, you know what I mean. Sort of like, okay, these people. I, I love the metaphor of the whole thing, like the idea yeah. that oh, these people are at work and they're doing this thing, but they. You know, and it's sort of like drudgery and it's sort of like mundane and sort of like get my coffee and do my thing. But they've never really questioned who they are or what yes. they're doing or why yeah. they're there. And to me, that's just, that is just what life is. You know what I mean? That's what, yeah. we're, that's what we are all, you know, oh, that's religion, religion is about that and philosophy. And, you know, but ultimately at the end of the day, we're all trying to figure out what we're doing here. Well, this is an existential joke I'm working on, which is I was Jen and I are supposed to write our will, which we still haven't done. It's in the show right now. We still haven't done it. I talk about it every night. I'm on stage in Chicago every night. Haven't done it. Yeah. Well, it's kind of weird, right? It's weird. It's weird it's to have to do it. Yeah. It's I have a weird. I have a weird uh, sort of uh, you know this thing where I'm afraid that if I like write down how I'd like you know, what I'd like my funeral or my, how my, 
you know, yeah. what I like to be done when I pass yeah, away. Cremation or right, whatever, whatever it is, is yeah. or ashes scattered, something, yeah. whatever yeah, it yeah. is. If with the second I write that down, it's like <laughs> it'll be like, oh. And ironically, he had just written down <laughs> what his final wishes were. I think that just Jen has. Because <laughs> I'm willing to write the will. I think Jen is less willing to do it. I think she has a superstition right. of the moment you write it down. <laughs> It's gonna happen. Thank God he wrote. I mean, isn't that weird? It's yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> so I so on the will it says healthcare proxy, and we all know this is the thing nobody likes to talk about. It's who decides if you're on the cusp of life or death, whether you live or die. Right. And uh, you know, it's the it's a I, I do thumbs up, thumbs down, sound with sound effects to get right. to make it palatable. <laughs> and um, and I you know I love my wife so much. I feel so lucky to have found her in this lifetime. That said, there are days when I think maybe shouldn't she shouldn't be my healthcare proxy. You know, like a few <laughs> weeks ago, like I got out of the shower and like I dried myself off and then I put the towel like over like the duvet and then I like left it there for a couple hours then it dampened the duvet on the bed and she sort of gave me this look as if to say like, if you were ever in a coma, you know, <laughs> death. death. But she didn't say it. She didn't say right. it. It's just what I was reading into it. It's a, um, yeah, it's a, it's a heavy responsibility to, I mean, to really, that stuff is oh, just Oh, it's massive. So, Forget oh about it. Oh, my God. I, yeah, I mean, it's just, it, and it like, kind of is just all like so surreal too because I, I had to go through that with my parents too. And it's like, you know, uh, come on. It's like. Well, yeah, because you, you just experience I mean? the thing, which is awful, which is someone's death. Yeah. And then you have to figure the whole thing out. Yeah, and when it comes down, it's like nobody should ever have to do that, you know? And, I mean, it's a greater discussion about healthcare and also yeah. the idea of, like, what we now have evolved to where people can be, you know, kept alive and, you know, all those things. Oh, my so gosh, it's just yes. awful, awful stuff. So, oh my uh, gosh! Yes, but you and of know, course, your, yeah, yeah. Your, your series opens up that can of worms too, and got me into a weird existential place thinking about that. Right, right, and uh, yeah. So, I mean, all that stuff is—it's uh, hard in, in life to deal with. Um, and <laughs> I, I mean, I, that's where I, I come back to sense of humor, though, because like both my parents had such great senses of humor. Yeah, that like somehow that their sense of humor through that even though like having to deal with that stuff with them is, you know, was sort of, I don't know, like I felt like that was sort of something that I got from them that like I felt connected to with them, that feeling somehow that they could see the, the humor in, Aww, in all of it too. That's so really. sweet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that means that to me, that means that there's a great, your parents gave you a great gift. Definitely. Definitely. And, you know, I get, it makes me emotional even thinking about it because that's so much of, like, who they were, too. But that means so much when your parents are gone is that stuff stays with you. All right, so we end on working it out for a cause. And I know that you do so much work uh, for refugees around the world. I'm a huge admirer of it. I'm sure that this would be your your, your cause. Is there a specific uh, link that you want to send people to? Um, I think going to uh, UNHCR, the UN Refugee Agency, um, you know, the work that they do is pretty amazing because they're all over the world and there are people who are 
uh, you know, field workers there who go out and are just helping people try to get to safety who are fleeing from persecution and violence all over the world. Yeah, it's unhcr.org. And yeah, you and you've traveled the world. I mean, this you've like put your money where your mouth is in this front. Yeah, I mean, it's really just trying to to meet people and help tell their stories. And because, uh, you know, there, there's so many people who are affected by uh, whether it's war or some type of, you know, even uh, eco uh, uh, you know, disasters, things that are happening to people that are forcing them through no fault of their own, out of their home. Let's imagine if you or I had a bomb drop, you know, on our house, and then we'd have to just leave and go and didn't have anywhere to go. Um, and that's that's what, you know, it's like something like 84 million plus people in the world, 84 million who are displaced. So it's such a big, big sort of number. And when you meet people, you realize that there are families who are just trying to move forward in life. So... Uh, yeah, and, and right now with the war in Ukraine too, it's, uh, yeah. you know, there's a lot more. And, and uh, I feel like if everybody had the opportunity to do what I do, which is go and meet with people and talk to them, you w- would immediately feel the same thing, which is like, yes. we, gotta, we have to do more to, to help each other. Well, it's one of the reasons why I admire you, not just as a director and writer and an actor, but as a person. I've just always admired this about you and I'll donate to them. I'll link to them in the show notes so people can donate as well. Thanks, Mike. Well, I admire you too. I'm a fan, as you know. Oh, thanks, Ben. Well, thanks for coming on and congrats on Severance. And I, yeah, it's, it's, it's a huge feat and I can't wait to see where it goes in season two. Thanks, man. It's good to see you. Working it out because it's not done. Working it out because there's no that's going to do it for another episode of Working It Out with Ben Stiller. I am fascinated by Ben Stiller. I love Ben Stiller. He's a just a, a, a fascinating artist. I can't wait to see what he does next. Absolutely watch Severance on Apple TV+. Plus. Follow Ben uh, on Instagram at, at Ben Stiller. Our producers of Working It Out are myself, along with Peter Salamone and Joseph Birbiglia. Consulting producer Seth Barish. Sound mix by Ben Cruz. Sound recording by Chuck Staten. Associate producer Mabel Lewis. Special thanks to my consigliere Mike Berkowitz, as well as Marissa Hurwitz and Josh Upfall. As always, a special thanks to Jack Antonoff and Bleachers for their music. And of course, my wife, the poet J. Hope Stein. You can follow her on uh, Instagram at J. Hope Stein. She just announced her book of poetry, Little Astronaut, is coming out in September. You can pre order it, you can find out about it over there on Instagram. Our book that we wrote together is called The New One. It's at your local bookstore, and we appreciate all your nice notes on all the various sites uh, giving feedback about our book. It continues to reach new people, which makes me so happy. As always, a special thanks to my daughter, Una, who created the original Radio Fort made of pillows. Thanks most of all to you who are listening. Uh, If you like the show, give us a a little user rating. Give us a few stars. Say which episode you like most. Mention it to your friends. Even mention it casually to enemies at one of these enemy mixers, you know, where you get all your enemies together and everyone (laughs) talks about their gripes. Uh, We're working it out over here. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Thanks.